As we continue in worship, please take your Bibles and turn them with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke, to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 21, is where we'll be today, Luke 8, 1 through 21. text within the sermon today, so uh, let's, just <clears throat> let's go to the Lord and I'll pray one more time. Father, sanctify us in your truth and pray that your word would uh, do its work in the lives of those who hear. Give us ears to hear. Help us to uh, more than just to listen to a message, but to hear as if uh, we are listening directly to you and your word, that we would Respond to it, heed it, obey it, do it uh, for your uh, glory because of uh, our love for you. And we ask that you <clears throat> would lead our time in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the common experiences that we have as Christians when we share the gospel with others, or we tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, <clears throat> is that uh, as we tell the gospel to different people, we always get different responses. Uh, it is sometimes as a Christian we have become so familiar with the the good news that I am I'm almost sometimes surprised when that it's such good news in my mind that it's such a great deal uh, in a sense that uh, here we are with a great debt and then uh, we could not pay our debt and someone has paid the debt for us and offers it to us freely if we would put our faith in him it just seems like oh you mean it's like free 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 money free gift. Why shouldn't I receive that? It just kind of makes sense that that's how people should respond. But yet, uh, in our experiences, uh, as we share the gospel, we we find that it's not the case. People don't always always respond to the gospel by receiving it, as we, uh, many of us here have. There are some, though, who do immediately receive it, and we rejoice when those times take place. In fact, the majority of times, we find that people don't receive the gospel, do they? Uh, many times they just there are some who outright reject it and say, no, I, I just don't believe in that. There are some who uh, are, may respect it. They say, oh, I, I respect those thoughts. I, I find that they are appealing. Uh, but yet they are not yet ready for whatever reason, not yet ready to believe it. There are some who just have questions, doubts, and they will interrogate it. There are others who will relegate it to something that is an irre- irrelevant, something that's, uh, well, that's just like, ancient myths. That's not something relevant for today's modern world. And we, hopefully as we share the gospel, we understand why people respond to the gospel with these various responses. Sometimes uh, uh, it is, sometimes we think that maybe it's the cause of these various responses because maybe I just haven't done a very good job of presenting the gospel. Uh, I know I feel that way sometimes. Oh, man, I, I wasn't so clear. I could have been better. I could have uh, made that particular element of the gospel uh, stand out more. Or maybe I could have been more compassionate as I presented the gospel. And I, I do think that. And maybe you think that. Maybe it's, it's my fault that someone has not believed in the gospel. 
And while that is possible, maybe I was offensive in some way, uh, <clears throat> that beyond just the message of the gospel. But it is, <clears throat> but one can present the gospel perfectly, clearly, consistently, and still find that depending upon the person, each person will respond differently to the presentation of the gospel. In fact, we find that to be true in the life of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the perfect teacher, the one who every time he proclaimed the gospel, it was a perfect presentation of it. He understood the gospel. Of course, he is the heart of the gospel. And when he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and he taught it to the people of Israel in, in those days, as we read in the scriptures, we've been studying in the gospel of Luke, not everybody responded. In fact, we find that a lot of the religious leaders did not respond to it. There were many, though, uh, among the poor, the disenfranchised, who believed upon the message, put their hope in that message. Now, we learn the reason for the various responses to the gospel in our text today. Uh, as Jesus tells us in this passage of the parable of the soils. And the fact that as we look at this text, we'll see that the parable of the soils, sometimes called the, actually, sometimes it's titled the parable of the sower, but that's really technically not correct. It's really the parable of the soils. It's about the soils, not really about the, uh, the sower. Yet, <clears throat> Jesus' point in this text is, is not merely to explain why people respond differently. It helps us to do that. It definitely, it will, we'll grasp that today. But, his teaching of this in this whole passage, or Luke's record of all these events, helped to explain how one ought to respond to the gospel. And Jesus makes very clear in this passage that the, through the repetition of the word hear and hearing that those who listen or hear his message should actually uh, hear it. So it's kind of to actually not just to listen, but to respond to it. The passage as a whole teaches us what genuine faith, genuine response to the gospel uh, should look like according to Jesus. There are many ways that faith manifests in our life. We may manifest it in different ways. But the overarching, the primary way that the follower of Christ demonstrates faith or responds to Jesus is through our response to his word. How do we respond to his word, with Jesus' word, is how we primarily respond to Jesus. And that makes sense. So four ways, uh, as we're going to look at our text today, it's, it's sort of four different different events, uh, some par- two parables, uh, two descriptions, and, and one description, and uh, a final word of exhortation. Uh, we're going to find here in four points, four ways that followers of Christ respond to the hearing of God's word. That's what we're going to look at today. Four ways that followers of Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, that should be an encouragement for us to examine our lives. How do I respond to the hearing of God's word. In fact, that's what we're doing right now. We're hearing God's word. You're gonna, uh, we all will listen. We have many opportunities to hear God's word. How do we respond to that? Uh, and so Jesus uh, wants to teach us as he does uh, through the gospel of Luke today. So in our first point that we're going to look at in this text, we learn that followers of Christ are those who hear the word of God and support it. Those who hear the word of God and support it. So uh, when they hear the word of God, they understand it, they grasp it, and they will support the proclamation of the word of God. Look at verses 1 to 3 of chapter 8. Uh, <clears throat> this is a little, uh, little small description of kind of gives us a setting of what takes place in, this, in the latter part. But we read, soon afterwards, 
So it's definitely it's in a context of what just took place in chapter 7. He began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Then Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So uh, we had just seen in chapter 7 this dinner exchange between Jesus, uh, the Pharisee, a Pharisee named Simon, and this sinful woman of that town. Luke now records that after that, Jesus goes on another preaching tour. He's been going through series of other preaching tours before, but now again he goes out from town to town. Uh, And Jesus undertakes it through the various cities and and towns of Galilee. Once again, though, as we see him going around from town to town, what is his number one priority? What does he focus on doing? Jesus does many things, as we've studied. But there's one thing consistently that he does wherever he goes, from every town, from every village. And that number one priority is is not just to perform miracles and healing, though he does that. And he, he builds quite a reputation for that. But that's not his number one priority. Nor is his number one priority uh, the expectation of, by many of the, uh, the people to, that he would come to put an end to the Roman government. He did not come to overthrow the government. His was not to come and lead in protest and create a, a revolution that would lead to uh, Israel's freedom from their oppression by Ro- Rome. But rather, his number one priority as he went from town to town, village to village, is that he came to proclaim a message about the kingdom of God. He came to, it says, they're proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Now, I wanted to add, just because we, we've come across this phrase several times now, and maybe when you read the New Testament, or the, particularly the gospel, you'll see this phrase, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God? I think for most of us, what we do, and I know I've done that, is when we come across this phrase, kingdom of God, what do I think is, we just tend to equate it with, oh, just going to heaven, Right? That means uh, being part of his kingdom, I'm going to go, I'm going to believe in him, I'm going to go to heaven. Um, and that, that is a part of it, it's not really all of it. The kingdom of God has, uh, is, really finds its beginnings in the Old Testament, and its fulfillment in the coming of Christ, and its ultimate fulfillment in the second coming, the return of Christ. But one of the simplest ways to think of a kingdom is just to remember that a kingdom always involves three things. So there are three elements, and when, we, and when we see this term, kingdom of God, it could refer to any of these three elements, but it could refer, most times, to all of them uh, together. And those three elements are a ruler, a kingdom has to have a ruler, a king, uh, one who has authority to rule. Secondly, a, a kingdom involves a realm, that is, a realm of, of subjects, of people that that ruler has authority to rule over. And then thirdly, there is the, a rulership, a rulership, that is, the exercise of ruling. You can have a king and you can have a kingdom such as, but if the king does not rule over them, does he not ex- exercise his authority over them by creating laws or demands or instructions or, or cares for those people? Then there is no kingdom in that technical sense. All these three things are involved in the kingdom and the idea of the kingdom. So when we think that particularly of the kingdom of God, Jesus, when he came, when he preached, Jesus taught about how one could enter into the kingdom of God. Ultimately, it's, it's going to be fulfilled in this, uh, this millennial kingdom, uh, this uh, earthly kingdom that, oh, that will take place in the future. But how one might enter the kingdom of God or to be a part of his kingdom uh, would involve uh, submitting uh, to, first of all, involve faith in the king. 
in who he is. And so part of Jesus preaching the kingdom of God involved preaching who he is, that he's the king. But what's more, he often preached clearly that how one can have citizenship in this kingdom, in that earthly kingdom, and then into, uh, into the eternity, how one can be part of God's kingdom. That's where the heaven comes in, the idea of heaven comes in. And it comes through uh, faith, but for those who are part of his kingdom, he often taught that what characterizes the kingdom citizens is obedience to him, submission to his authority. Uh, and so in this passage, as well as elsewhere in Jesus' teaching, we always find a, a consistent call by Jesus, not just to believe, you know, just to say, oh, just believe, and, and that's, enough, that's all, but he often calls his followers to obey, to respond, to submit to his leadership, to his authority. Uh, it's not enough just to call him Lord, Lord, and then but not do what he says. Among those who responded to his preaching, of course, in this text, so we find in some more details, is of the 12 apostles. The 12 followed him wherever they went, but they were among the first who responded. They had been introduced to us back in chapter 6, verse 13. Now, but then this really stands out in these three verses, is that <clears throat> among those, in addition to the 12, there were a significant number of women in Jesus's, um, among Jesus' disciples. They had been healed by him, and so in, in just a thankful gratitude, they responded to him, his ministry, his teaching ministry, and they began following him and supporting him in his ministry as well. Among them, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna were some of the names here. But it says at the end there, there were many others as well. So many other women as well who would, uh, were going along. And, but what stands out among these women so is <clears throat> and just the fact that there are women that are supporting or following after as disciples of, this, of Jesus stood out in that culture. Uh, many of the people who followed after rabbis were the men. Uh, there were very few, there would be women disciples in a sense following around the, ra- the rabbi that they, they followed. But here we have many women. But they, we see that they were contributing to their support. So that is the support of Jesus as well as the support of the, of the twelve out of their own private means. They had heard Jesus' teaching. They had believed. They, so they had ears to hear. They heard. They believed. But they were not content to just go back home uh, and having their entrance to, to heaven, to the kingdom of God, secured. They desired to support this ministry. They desired to follow Jesus from, Gal- from city to town and to town to village. They wanted to support their ministry. They wanted to support the ministry from their own, their own uh, resources. Um, <clears throat> the under- by the way, the underlying uh, kind of Greek word for this word support is the word to serve, from which we get our English word deacons or deaconesses. These women served the Lord and his apostles by supporting uh, them out of their own wealth so that Jesus and the twelve could focus on preaching the kingdom of God. We'll see this pattern that, that uh, actually kind of repeated even in Acts 6 when the apostles realized they, were, they, they had to focus on the preaching of the gospel. There were the deacons, who were, the seven men who were chosen who could focus and, and help serve the tables, took care of the ministry of the widows so that the apostles could focus on the preaching of the kingdom of God. And so we see this example of the women here, uh, these disciples who believed in Jesus, heard his word, but they, they, were, they continued to support the proclamation of that ministry by giving of their own means. And this ought to encourage all of us, I think. This is kind of a, a devotional encouragement for us that we uh, may not all here be gifted teachers. We may not all be uh, serve as pastors. Or uh, we may not all have the time to be super involved in ministry every day of our lives. Uh, but we should all find some way to support the preaching of the gospel. Uh, we may do th- so through our gifts, 
uh, through our talents and, and through our resources that God gives us. So let those who hear God's word support its proclamation. And that's the point number one that we see in verse three. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in point number two, the actual parable of the soils. And in the second point, we learn that followers of Christ are also those who hear the word of God and hold fast to it. They hear the word of God and they hold on to it. They don't let it go. Now, this is the most significant point of our passage. It answers to us why people respond to the teaching of Jesus with various responses. Jesus, at this point, speaks to the crowd in a parable as he teaches them. Uh, he teaches them the parable in verses four through eight. It's actually um, the the parallel to this is is taught by Matthew and Mark in their gospels as well. We read verses four through eight. This parable that Jesus then teaches to encourage his followers to hold fast to him. He said, uh, we read verse 4. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the side of the road. And it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus, in telling this parable, uses the, the common everyday illustration of sowing seeds. And maybe you have sowed seeds of maybe you wanted to grow grass or grow flower, a flower bed. You would sow seeds in, in, on the soil. But here, this is a very agricultural. They were farming. These are growing seeds that would raise up to be grain that they would harvest. So the sower would go out from his home with probably uh, to where the fields were, and he would have a bag of seeds, and then maybe it'd be attached to his pouch or over his over shoulder. But he would grab a seed and he would just scatter it, you know, just throw it out and cast it out along the the field. And the the seed would then fall into the various places on the field, the various parts. And and as we the parable continues, Jesus points out that wherever the seed fell, wherever this uh, that the sower uh, sowed. Uh, it would fall on four different kinds of soils. In a sense, uh, we're going to find out that there are really four different ways that people respond to the gospel. But here we just look at four types of soils. <clears throat> and just uh, to, review, to review them pretty quickly, number one, in verse five, some seed will fall on the hard soil, a hard soil. And the, here the condition of the soil is that it will fall on soil that is hardened. It's, been, it's, beside, it's on the road. It's where people walk over the dirt enough times that it becomes hard. And so wherever that seed falls on that hard soil, because of it's hard, that seed doesn't, will not uh, go into the ground and it will not germinate in there or it will not uh, grow. Yeah. <clears throat> it would uh, never be, uh, produce any fruit. It was left there simply be trampled underfoot. We walked over and then the birds of the air would come and they would eat up that seed. Secondly, <clears throat> we find in verse 6, a rocky soil. There's a rocky soil described here. It's a, it is a soil that would have had a, underneath it, a, just barely underneath the surface, a layer of, of limestone rock, hardened rock. So, so while there would be a soil, seed would fall there, and it would, but it, because of that layer of rock and where the seed would, would land in the soil and it would start uh, growing and uh, its root, roots going down, because <clears throat> it, w- it wouldn't be able to develop 
deep roots so the plant would grow up. Uh, with shallow roots, uh, it grows. And, and then, but Jesus describes it, whatever grows up will wither away quickly uh, because it has no moisture. Thirdly, in verse 7, we're introduced to a thorny soil. A thorny soil. Uh, <clears throat> this has been soil that, not in the sense that it had thorn bushes, because to, the farmer would have prepared the soil already, but it's soil that has maybe the roots of thorn bushes. So, and as the, uh, the, the seed grows, the thorns also grow up along with it. And what happens is that the thorn bushes, or you, know, you think about even modern day wheat, the weeds that grow around our plants, they will take away nutrients out of the, the soil so that it chokes out whatever we want to grow often. <clears throat> uh, number four, we, and then finally we find that there are some seed that will fall on a good, good, good <clears throat> soil. Uh, <clears throat> soil that is not hard, not a rocky, not thorny, but fertile soil, uh, Soil that is good for growing, rich in nutrients. Uh, seed there that is sown in this soil will grow up and it, it will yield and produce a harvest, a hundredfold crop. So Jesus here is contrasting this fourth, this good soil, with the previous three soils, right? It's, uh, uh, the first three soils, uh, they may, they may, some may not grow at all, some may grow up a little bit, but the end result of all the first three soils is that they don't, they don't produce anything. There's no harvest from uh, those, those uh, seed that falls on those soils. But this fourth soil grows up to produce a bountiful harvest. And so Jesus then concludes his parable. Actually, it's not just concluding, but he would continually, regularly cry out as he's telling this parable, he who has ears, let him hear. Almost like a, a refrain every time he's, he's pointing out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He gives a solemn call to the multitude to listen carefully to his words. Yes, you are listening to me. You're hearing me teach, but are you hearing me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you, are you, will you hear and respond and understand this truth? This word here is the word from which we get our English word acoustic. Akuo uh, is the Greek verb. Uh, it appears several times, nine times in our text, so it's a key word. Appears in verses 8 and 10 and 12, 13, 14, 15, 18 and 21. So many times. But Jesus wants to warn his hearers to hear. But not all do. Not all do. They're, he wants them to be all like the good soil. But people are not like the good soil as, we, as uh, he would wish. And he explains why. He explains the parable in verses 9 through 15. So we see in verse 9 to 15 the parable explained. Let's read verse 9 to 15. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. There's our phrase, the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, and are, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasure of this life. And bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart 
and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Verses 9 to 10, as we just kind of in this text, provide a little setting for the Jesus' explanation. His disciples actually, they heard this parable and they were wondering, why are you speaking to us in parables? Why all of a sudden the switch to, to, sto- to this, uh, these stories? And Jesus explains to them, uh, because they are those who have responded positively, they are his disciples. To you, he says, you have been granted the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But those who had rejected Jesus' clear teaching, those up to this point had rejected him, he says that he are, he's now speaking in parables for them. Not that they would understand, but that they would not be able to understand. And that they would not be able to repent and not be forgiven. In a sense, he speaks now in parables as a fulfillment of prophetic judgment. And he quotes here, in fact, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. Where even in Isaiah's ministry, as he is called to proclaim the gospel, he is called to proclaim the gospel to people who will hear but not understand. They see, but they, may not, they won't see. That's because they were they held on to their sin. And so uh, <clears throat> Jesus is speaking in parables for that dual purpose. That his disciples might understand. Those who understand and believe him will understand. But those who have rejected him will not understand anything. And so he then explains in verses 11 to 12, and following uh, the parable itself. He says the seed is the word of God. So that makes sense. Uh, this sower who sows the seed sows the word of God. So uh, that is the word about the kingdom of God. Uh, it is the, the gospel that Jesus came to preach. Now who is the sower? Who is the sower? Well, the sower we, we can understand to be first and foremost it has to be Jesus. Jesus is the one who's teaching here. He's describing the people who are responding to him. But it might also apply, and even as we understand that our task, that it applies to everyone who is called to be uh, a proclaimer of God's word as well, whether it's preachers or teachers, but it's really all of us who are disciples of Christ. We're to make disciples. We're to tell others of the word of God. We also are sowing the seed. Now, as we're about to learn, a person's response to the gospel is determined by the condition of their heart. And each of the soils that we looked at earlier are now described as a heart condition. And, uh, and that impacts how a person responds to the word of God. So number one, Jesus then explains in verse 12 how the hard soil represented the hardened heart. The hard soil represents the hardened heart. Uh, it's a, it's an unresponsiveness to God's word. It's, uh, the word is, is heard but is ignored. It's not even considered. And because that word is not heard or, or is not responded to, it's, Satan then comes and takes away the word so that whatever they did hear, uh, it's like, as if they'll forget it because they didn't really take time to, to listen to it, to respond to it. It doesn't have a chance to penetrate their hearts. Reminded of 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where how uh, there Paul talks about how the, the, the God of this world, that saint himself, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel. So there are those who respond to the gospel with hardened hearts. That's why they don't believe, they don't save, they're not saved because they ignore it. If your heart is hardened, then pray that God would soften your heart to receive his word. Number two, we find that there is a rocky soil. The rocky soil is the shallow heart. That's equivalent to the shallow heart. Verse 13. Now, <clears throat> just like the grain plant that grows up quickly in rocky soil, so the person with a shallow heart 
receives, it's one who receives the word with much joy. They, they respond real quickly. They, they grow up like that plant real quickly. They, but they don't have any deep roots. They haven't really considered the gospel. They, they've just kind of thought, oh, yeah, I just want to get saved because maybe there's something they, they want. They want to they want, say, oh, it's, it's free, so I'm just going to believe. But they really haven't really considered uh, the, the cost of following Jesus. They have no firm root. Maybe they responded to the gospel purely because of emotions. Maybe because the, they just saw that that's what the crowds were doing. They had not followed Jesus out of not only emotions, but out of the intellect, of, of, out of their will, the volitional a choice. And so the response, we'll notice, is that it's only for a while. When trials and circumstances arise that tempt them to fall away, that's what we find they do. They, they fall away. And that reveals to us that they never had a genuine response of faith. And if you have a shallow heart, if you find yourself uh, falling away because you, though you at one time professed faith, pray that God would grant you a genuine saving faith. Thirdly, there is uh, the thorny soil. The thorny soil equivalent to a divided heart. It's a divided heart, verse 14. Like the plant that grows up among thorns and is eventually choked out, so the person with a divided heart is surrounded and consumed with the worries of the world with the deceitfulness of riches, with desires for the pleasure of life. All these things, they cloud into our lives so that we lose sight of the treasure of the gospel. And so the word, when we hear it, it is choked out because of these other things, our worries and, and our desires. And therefore, whatever faith we did, uh, whatever uh, response we had, really, it does not result in, a, in fruit. It shows really that the person had never heard but had never truly responded, never truly believed in that word. Uh, one of the probably great examples of this is the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. He was one who came with seemingly, uh, these are one of those people that if they came to church and they'd say, you know, I just, I just want to, I want to be saved. Tell me what I must do to be saved. You say, oh man, that's, that's great. We want, we want to lead this person to the Lord. What, what a great opportunity. He's going to be a game changer, a world changer. If this person, this rich young ruler, would come to faith in Jesus, so I can just picture him. He'd be like, you know, like Justin Bieber, you know. Uh, just so, he had such a far reach. Everyone would believe in him. You know, it's kind of like that. Uh, now, I'm not saying that the rich young girl is equivalent to Justin Bieber necessarily, but, you know, be some kind of like, somebody like that, famous. But what happened to the rich young ruler? Jesus told him to, if you're going to believe in me, then you go sell everything you have and go give it to the poor. And, well, he, he was not ready to obey Jesus, to follow Jesus. And we, and we see he would, because his desire for the things of this world, the pleasure of this life, it choked out any kind of initial response he had wanted to follow Jesus. But he did not. He was not willing to give it all up. You have a divided heart. If you're here in this world, you're, you're divided. You, 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 you're seeing that right now. You, you profess faith, but you're, caused, you're, you're torn away by the worries of this world or the desires, the pleasures of this world, the possessions of this world. Pray that God would show you the treasure of Christ, that, he, that Christ is worth more than all the things you worry about, that you fear losing, that you, oh, that you desire to have, to find delight in knowing him alone. And then, fourthly, the good soil, uh, Jesus teaches us, is equated with the good heart in verse 15. The good heart hears the word and, and holds it fast. The word of God here uh, does not bounce off this heart. It, it does not like the heart and soil. It is not accepted for a short while and then disappear when under trials uh, like, the, like the rocky soil. It is not crowded out by worries and worldly desires like the thorny soil. 
but it allows God's word to take deep root and consequently bears fruit with perseverance. It's by, by holding fast the word of God. Those who have heard the word in the honest and good heart and hold it fast. They hold it on tightly. They don't let go of the word of God when they hear it. They hold on to the promises of God, the, uh, the, the instructions of God, the commands, the guidelines, the wisdom of God. And because they hold on to the word of God, they, they don't neglect it. They don't let it go. They don't forget it. They will bear fruit with perseverance. Uh, by holding fast, persevering the word of God, the fall of Christ will inevitably bear fruit. That's, that should be an evidence of a genuine saving faith. Is that you bear fruit? Well, now, what are these fruits? The scriptures speak about many different types of fruits that we might bear, and it probably includes all of these. All of these, the fruit of the spirit, for instance, in Galatians five twenty-two and twenty-three, uh, are some of the uh, fruits that we might bear. The fruits of righteous behavior, as we see in uh, Philippians chapter one verse eleven, it, but we may bear the fruits of praise. We we praise God. We we pr- whenever things take place, and as in Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Or even we bear the fruits of uh, the fruit of desiring to, to lead others to faith in Christ, as Romans 1, uh, 13 to 16 speak of. Uh, but whatever the fruits of our life, they are the produce, they're the results, the product of a heart that holds on tightly to the word of God. Jesus wants those who are his followers to be those who hear his word and hold on to it. To not let it go, to not give up. We believe the word of God. We abide in that word of God. We, we hope in the word of God and all this promises within. So let those who hear the word of God as we find here in the second point be those who hold, hear it and hold fast to it. To not let it go. To remember it. So that you might bear fruit. Okay, that's a way to respond. Uh, now there are two more responses to the word of God. Uh, and we see quick in two sets of short little phrase, sections. And the third one we'll introduce is that we find that the followers of Christ are also those who hear the word of God and shine it. Those who hear the word of God and shine it out or spread it, share it, share it with others. 16 to 18. We see Jesus teaches a, a second parable in this story. And we pick up in verse 16. Now, no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. For whoever, whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. Uh, a very, quite a vivid illustration from everyday life that Jesus uses here. Uh, and the, this time it's the picture of a lamp. Uh, in those days, we, they might be equivalent to our modern day flashlights or lanterns. Uh, but the lamps were terracotta vessels. They would put a wick and oil in it. They would light it and it would just provide a lamp for, their, for the house. And if we, you know, um, <clears throat> there's really only one use for these lamps that is to be lit so it would shine light. That's, that's pretty basic. And so, it would, Jesus points out, quite obviously, uh, that no one is going to then, therefore, light up a lamp and then put it under a container or put it, hide it under your bed. <laughs> uh, it would just be odd. Uh, certainly, people light a lamp to put it on a lampstand up high so that the light would shine all throughout the room where it can brighten the whole area. Lamps are meant to shine, not to be hidden. 
And that's, uh, that's the basic parable and that's told here. Verse 17 provides, a, Jesus provides an explanatory principle that helps us in interpretation of this parable. Because we understand the, the, the picture, but what does it mean? Uh, the statement the statement in verse 17 emphasized that the purpose of hidden or secret things is that they are ultimately to be revealed and to come to light. Some of those things that are hidden or secret will eventually be revealed and come to light. Now, this idea of secret things or hidden things that will eventually become to light, well, what does that mean? Uh, that's a good question. It's actually kind of uh, sort of uh, mysterious to us. But so far in our text, the only thing that has been indicated as hidden or secret is what? Verse 10, the mysteries of God, right? Verse 10, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And Jesus has tells his disciples that up to this point, there are mysteries, things that are secret, things that are unknown, hidden about the kingdom of God. But to you, who are believers, disciples, it is revealed to you. You understand them. He's slowly revealing it to them. But as of now, he continues to teach in parables so that those who do not believe, those who do not respond, won't understand. So the lamp here in this parable is therefore a picture of Jesus' word, his teachings about the kingdom of God. His word is a supernatural revelation that Jesus gives to his disciples. And the truth, but but he wants them to understand right now, though it's hidden to them, he wants to know that the truth regarding the kingdom of God that mystery, those mysteries that they're getting to learn about will one day are meant to be revealed to all. He now speaks to them parables, but one day after his death, after his resurrection, his disciples would then begin explaining to everyone about the mysteries of the kingdom, what they didn't understand, beginning in Acts chapter 2. What you failed to understand, why you crucified the king, is because of this. Because he came, the king came to provide a way for us to be part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom that he came, uh, that, uh, that he, he came is not of the, the kings that we kind of expected. So after his death, his disciples would explain it all. That's what Jesus him, him wants them to convey. In verse 18, Jesus warns his disciples to take care then how you listen. If you're his disciples, you're his followers of Christ, here I am preaching and teaching. Just don't think, hey, that's just great. I love listening to him. He just tickles my ears. I just get really inspired. But just be careful how you listen to God's word. Don't just be one who listens and then says, oh, I'm so inspired. But then do nothing about it. Be those who respond rightly to the word of God. When you respond rightly, Jesus says you'll be given more truth. But those who don't respond rightly will even lose what they have. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of like almost this idea of use it or lose it, right? It's like muscles, right? If you don't use it, you, you're going to lose that, the muscle skills. Same with responding to the Word of God. It's like a, it's a you can say it's, it's like a muscle. The more we respond to the Word of God and we understand and hear it and live according to it, the more we'll be able to understand more truth. And that's how it is. The, if you ask some of our older saints here who have been in God's word for a long time and they've been living God's word, I bet you they will tell you that as they've grown in their faith, they understand and they respond to God's word. They've understood more of God's word together along the way because they've been applying it and they see how things connect in the scriptures. They see how, why, uh, the, why, uh, why we do certain things uh, here and, and because it's related to something that's stated here in the Old Testament. A follower of Christ who has heard and understood and believed the word of God then has a responsibility 
because it is the mystery, it's about the kingdom of God, to shine it upon others, to share it like a lamp. Share it with those who have not yet heard. And all of us here who have believed in Jesus Christ, we are those who have had the lamp. We have been those who have given the understanding to the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We understand that Jesus does not come to, just to, to judge the world, but he came to save the world. But we understand that, the king, that one day he will return, he will return to judge the world. When his, kingdom is, when his kingdom is ultimately established on earth. So are we, we have this message to tell. We have to respond to share. But are we taking the lamp? Are we taking the word of God, the, the truth of the kingdom of God? And are we hiding it under our bed? Are we hiding it under some snapshot because we, we're, we don't want to share it? We don't respond rightly. What you have will even be taken away. Now I'm not saying that you'll lose your salvation. But an unwillingness to share the truth may be a reflection, maybe an indication that we don't truly believe the word of God. We don't truly have a genuine faith in the word of God. We haven't truly heard the word of God. Fourthly, lastly, followers of Christ are those who hear the word of God and, and do it. Hear the word of God and do it. Verse 1921, we see this, this uh uh, this event that takes place while Jesus is going around from city to city, town to town, 1921. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Luke describes uh, for us the arrival of Jesus' family from Nazareth. Uh, we he doesn't tell us why, but we do learn from Mark's account why. In Mark's account, he tells us that uh, his family had heard about how Jesus had begun this ministry where he, he walks around, goes around town to town, and large crowds are following him, and they're thinking, he's out of his mind. He must have lost it. He's, he's not in his right state of mind. So they, out of love for him, they were going to go and kind of bring him back home, you know, to help him. They were going to intervene, do an intervention with him. And so they're, they're, crying, they're trying to get reached to him in this particular town. He seems like he's inside a house. And, but there's crowds all around. And they can't get to him. And so word is spread. Uh, maybe they're, they tell, hey, tell, tell Jesus his mother and his brothers are here. And so the word gets up to him and inside this, uh, where he's at inside. And he's heard, he's t- people, he hears that, oh, your mother and your brothers, they're outside. They're waiting for you. They want to see you. But then... Jesus takes takes that opportunity to teach a very profound truth. Verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And this is a very surprising statement because uh, in Jewish culture, one's family relations were important, much like in many of our cultures. But it was a family relationship that was important. No closer relationship than family. Those were his mother, his brothers standing outside. So there's a clear contrast. But without denouncing his family, it, seems, it sounds harsh what he says, but he's not denouncing his family at all. Remember, even on the cross, Jesus takes care of his mother by asking John to take care of her. But Jesus revealed that those who obey the word, his word, those who hear his word and obey it, they do it, they are also his family. They're his spiritual family, really. They're part of uh, the family of God because they are those who are hearers of the word, not just hearers only, but doers of it, as we read in James in our call to worship. 
Now, this isn't a, a works kind of salvation where doing good works leads to one becoming a part of the family of God. Because we know that salvation is by grace through faith and not of works, Ephesians 2 and 9. But what Jesus is teaching here is that his new spiritual family, and those who are going to be part of his family, those who responded to him and by faith, are those that are going to be characterized by obedience to the will of God. They will do the word of God. That's what, when we are part of the family, we will obey the word of God. It begins with obedience to the gospel, and then it continues with obedience to God's word. See, obedience is a, is a genuine necessity, uh, outco- necessary outcome of genuine faith. There is no such thing as a Christian who believes in Christ but does not obey Christ. And here's where I think I'll just share one cross-reference today. John 3.36, I just love this passage. Uh, it's kind of one of the earliest verses I've memorized beyond John 3.16. But he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not, notice it doesn't say not, does not obey or does not believe. But it says, he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus is kind of, or uh, John's explanation is that here in contrast, you know, we need to believe in him, but belief is something that's inside. But what is evidence of belief is obedience. You could say you believe all you want, but if you are not obeying Jesus, then that is evidence that you don't have faith. Because it's faith that saves, but it's the obedience that shows, it's the evidence of salvation. For those of you who are already our Christians, then we had to simply ask, encourage us to ask ourselves, are we living in obedience to the Lord? I, lo- I love having communion. Uh, communion is a time for us to examine our lives to see how we have been living. Have we been living character- our lives characterized not by perfection. Uh, none of us are there. right? We all, that's why we need Jesus every day of our lives. He, we need his forgiveness of sins. But do we live at least, are we living at least a life that is characterized generally by obedience? Are you one who seeks to follow Christ's commands in your life? If not, then confess your sins and repent of them and walk, renew your commitment to walk rightly with him. But that is what you are to be. You are to be a hearer of the word of God who does it. But a continual rejection of some or all of God's command can be, may be an indication that you don't have a genuine faith. For a faith that saves is a faith that will obey. Well, we end simply with this final exhortation. All of us here, we've been hearing God's word. I, I know it's, this, is a, this is a challenging passage because especially as we are, are older in the faith, we hear a lot of God's word. <laughs> How many sermons have we heard over our lifetime? How many sermons uh, we taught? And it's easy to kind of hear and, and just kind of evaluate for the technical aspects of the sermon. Oh, yeah, that, that was in accordance with the doctrines that we believe. And you kind of think, because we all, li- oh, at least I listen like that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's from the text. That's from the text. Yes, that's in accordance. Oh, that's good exp- expositional preaching. You know, that's, that's definitely clearly what the Bible says. But if we just do that ex- mental exercise, we say, oh, yes, that's true. We fall short if we don't do anything about it. We fall short if we don't then do it. We don't shine it. We don't support it. We don't, uh, we don't uh, live according to it, hold fast to it. It'd be a terrible mistake for us. It is a terrible mistake for us. It's a bad habit if we're into it that every week in, week out, we come here and we hear the word of God and then we say, oh, that's nice. And then we walk out of here and we don't do anything with it. 
Jesus would have stern warning for us, and he does have stern warning. Be careful how you listen. Let him who has ears hear. And if you have heard the word of God, then ask, I think for meditation for us, a reflection about how we ought to respond is, ask yourself, how will I support the proclamation of the word of God? How will I hold fast to the word of God so that I might bear fruit in my life? How will I shine the word of God and the, the kingdom of God and tell it to others? And how will I then do, you know, is there some aspect of the word of God that I need to obey so that God, my king, or Jesus, my king, might be honored as I am a kingdom citizen, as I am part of his kingdom that Jesus made the way for all of us to enter by coming to die on the cross for our sins so that through faith in him, we might be part of that. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, uh, this, this passage that exhorts us to hear, hear and hear. And Lord, we've heard a lot. You know, we've, uh, we, we preach your word. But Lord, to let us not be settled uh, just with having evaluated that uh, what has been spoken has been true, uh, that we would consider how we might apply your word and live according to it. Do not let us just be hearers of the word only, but hearers who are doers of the word. Help us to, uh, to be faithful, to respond to your word as you desire us to. For you are, your, that for you are our God and our king, and we follow after you because you have provided the way of, of entrance into the kingdom, your kingdom, through your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for uh, his words today and pray that you would do a work in our hearts, do a work in this church, that we would be known uh, not just as a a Bible-teaching church, but a Bible-living and a Bible-obeying kind of church. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.